Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we're looking at important issues and matters through a biblical lens with the hope to encourage you. And you can always download these episodes on Apple and Spotify, that's audio. And for video, you can go to YouTube or you can go to my Facebook page and just type in Ignite Global Ministries and look for Conversations with Ben Dixon. If you forget all of that, just go to conversationswithbendixon.com. All of the stuff, the links, everything you wanna look at is there. Thank you for tuning in today. Great episode. It's going to be about the future of the church, and I have a special guest with me today. This is Pastor Dave Veach, and he is the Northwest Foursquare District Pastor of Churches for about three or four states. I don't remember exactly. Five states. And he's with me today because who better to talk about the future of the church than this man right here? Isn't that right? Oh, Nobody better. <laughs> <Right>. Nobody. <laughs> Humil- humility is our way. No, he's great. I'm just, I'm just messing with him. But listen, we have been through so much over the last two years. You know this. I know this. And we want to talk about what that's looked like. We want to talk about where do we go from here? Because the real question isn't about where we've come from. It's about where we're going. And we need to know that. And I thought, who better to talk about that with than Dave Veach, because he has uh, he has the pulse on so many churches and pastors, has a heart for pastors to coach all of us, and I'm thankful he actually uh, installed me here at Northwest Church, and so m- many of you that are watching know who he is, and so I know you're going to pay special attention to this because we want to know, Lord, where where uh, where are we focused, where are we going, and how do we uh, get there? So, Dave, thank you for joining me today. My privilege. is yeah. great to be with you. Great to see you. Great to be at Northwest Church. I love this place. Northwest Church. Amen. Federal Way. Federal Way, Washington. Washington. If you don't know, now you know. Right. Um, I want to ask just some preliminary questions. We want to break this up in a couple ways. So I want to talk about pre-pandemic, during pandemic, post-pandemic. We talked about this already. And so I just kind of want to start off our podcast by asking you some simple questions about pre-pandemic. And again, you oversee 200 and something churches. Yeah. 205 right now. It's always a little flux Mm -hmm. based upon church planting and closing. Um, Interesting statistic is that about 5% of churches were closing pre-pandemic and church planting had kind of taken a backseat in our movement when I was starting this 12 years ago. And so we really pushed hard on church planting because you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that if you're closing 5% a year, it doesn't take very long till that's making a big impact on your organization's total numbers, to say nothing of your kingdom impact mm-hmm. and your mission. And so um, churches, just like any other organization, have a general 20-year life expectancy where they will plateau and decline. And only in great churches where there's great transitions and great leaders do those declines pick back up. Mm. And so figuring out how to do that was really, really important to me pre-pandemic. And then just talking about the aging demographic. I'm a boomer. Most pastors today are boomers. All of a sudden, you have a wave of retirements and health issues and so on. Um, And we have boomers that grab the ring and don't want to let go of it. Unlike your predecessor, Steve, who just said, like, Mm -hmm. here you go, I'm done. And uh, a lot I'm moving of them, to Arizona. Love you, Steve. And just gone, <laughs> just like that. He's just gone. Yeah. He's like, I'm not kidding. And he wasn't. And others are like literally telling me things like, I will die in this pulpit. Wow. And the problem is that their church will too. Wow. Most often. Well, let's, I, I mean, I, now I want to dig into this because I think before we talk about even how we've had to navigate the pandemic or the future of the church, which is where we'll land. Um, you brought you brought up a lot of great points in terms of pre pre pandemic. What what were you as a district supervisor, as a coach to pastors, as an observer, you know, up close and personal of many churches? I mean, you got to see small and big and medium size and rural and city and church plants and church closures. I mean, you you have had quite a, a, a full perspective. What were you concerned about? as it pertains to the church, before we entered into the pandemic? What were the things that you were carrying in your heart most of all? Things that you were concerned about that we're not doing and things that we need to be doing? What was the kind of the things that you would kick to the high, to the high place here? Well, there's a lot of things that concern you when you are visiting with pastors, even pre-pandemic. And one of the biggest ones is the discipleship and the training up of young leaders and the releasing. Um, 
most of us have spent our entire ministry learning to gather. Mm-hmm. We're gatherers. And mm-hmm. so it's counterintuitive to be a sender. You've been a great sender. Um, our great young leaders have come right out of your your direct uh, discipleship. Mm-hmm. And yet anyone that tells you that as they've been sending, that a piece of them goes with that. Mm-hmm. And so as they send people, and even our best sending churches 20, 30 years ago kind of stopped mm. because of the pain that is involved, the emotional pain in sending the people that you love somewhere else. But what that stopping does is it keeps the church from becoming what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And so we're always trying to keep everything the same, and nothing stays the same. The only thing that's constant in life is change, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, that was a huge one. I think also just the state of the church as far as discipleship, um, as far as are we really making new disciples or are we just keeping people in in our seats, nickels and noses or things that we, we, should, um, we should count. But discipleship is really a hard thing to count. And so yeah. how are we doing at making disciples? Uh, that was really a big one. I think, um, you know, one of the things that's not a concern that everybody thinks should be concerned is, is particularly in our Pentecostal um, movement, is that, you know, the seeker-sensitive thing is going to steal all of our, our good good, passionate Bible people. And it's just not true because that really died 10, if not 20 years ago, uh, it really isn't even a factor today. There's a handful that still do that, but the majority, and particularly young leaders, are so far removed from that. They just know they can't survive with, you know, a a really nice seeker service. They survive on passion, and uh, uh, they have to be fully in. And so the the followers and younger churches are, like, radical. Mm so that was a that was a concern that many had that I didn't have, um, but there's just a lot of things going on, and I think the biggest one that I spent a lot of time working on was the emotional uh, health of a leader. Mm-hmm. What I found is that you know we're basically insecure human beings, all of us, mm-hmm. and then you throw leadership on top of it of a volunteer organization where. I mean, sometimes when I was pastoring on Whidbey, I, I felt like my church was a house of cards. And if a, a strong wind came through, you know, four or five families say, like, you're, you're a terrible pastor, um, the whole thing could collapse. I would feel yeah. that from time to time. And I think all of us have those insecurities, whatever they are. And so trying to help pastors get to a place where they're, they're in a healthy place um, emotionally. And most of us come to Christ out of brokenness. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when I came to Christ, it was celebrate all the great new things that God was doing. And yet I couldn't get healthy unless I looked backwards. Mm-hmm. And I, we don't really talk a lot about how to look backwards and deal with your stuff. And so I think that's been a real concern of mine. And we work real hard on making sure we're installing healthy pastors. And yet every one of us get knock down several pegs on a regular basis. So that's a really hard thing to maintain. Mm -hmm. So health in the leaders, right? Because obviously it doesn't take much for a church to fold when a leader falls. Right. And uh, and and in the criticism that you know, the, there's a season of compliments, but then the criticisms just come. Yeah. And we're all, you know, don't you think we're all kind of looking at the negative these days? I mean, it just se- sort of seems like uh, churches become kind of the the whooping post uh, for so many things. It doesn't mean the church doesn't have. I'm not suggesting that the church doesn't have any accountability whatsoever, because there are a lot of things we haven't done right, and right. We, and we, we've catered to or even been directly responsible for bad things. Um, but I do also think that some, it's easy to criticize the church, and, some, and I, there are a lot of leaders who just feel under the weight and the pressure of needing to perform, needing to be amazing, yeah. needing to be a savior, needing to be Jesus, the best Bible teacher. And in, in the pandemic, not only have you had to be the greatest theologian, online commentator, uh, podcaster, um, uh, medical professional epidemiologist. Yeah. You just have ha- we just have almost had to have everything and it's something you're going to fa- like inevitably you're just going to suck at something. Yeah. And or everything it seems like. So it has there has been a lot of pressure and I think coming into the pandemic potentially with what you're saying if the health of a leader um, wasn't something that they were m- moving towards because we're not perfect but right. and we have to be in 
process. If we're not moving towards healthy rhythms and health, healthy way of life with marriage and family and our time with God and even just our own heart, right? If then the pandemic's certainly going to expose that. Yeah. So we walked into this 16 months ago. Uh, we get an issue, uh, a, a proclamation in March. We had been hearing about it for a couple months. And, and it is, you know, basically we need to uh, lower the curve. We need to shut things down. Right. I, I of course, uh, for those few months, we shut down our church and we went completely online. We didn't shut down, but we went completely 100%. online to figure that out. As we've walked through the pandemic, um, what have you uh, seen in terms of like what's been healthy, what's been unhealthy, what's surprised you, what's shocked you? I mean, I, I don't even know where this is going to go. I just yeah. want it to go. Like, what what have you seen? Because you've seen a lot of more than I have. Yeah, it's, um, well, we always say the pandemic changed everything. Mm -hmm. But the truth is the pandemic really didn't change anything. Those changes were already in process. They were just exponentiated. Mm. You're, you've been online for how many years now? You've been, Quite a few, yeah. yeah, I mean, the average church, um, the, there's a great comedy that talks about how pastors would say online was the devil and terrible and not anything. And then there's this off-ramp, like, we're getting online now because like <laughs> the governor just shut us down and we better figure out a way to do church tomorrow. Yeah. And so um, what's changed? I mean, like my wife went to the doctor the other day on Zoom. Um, school is online. It's back part-time, not part-time. Everything has changed. I mean, giving was, for some churches, 70 80% check. Anybody under 40 doesn't even know what a checkbook is. Right. You know, so like everything changed, and yet it really just fast-forwarded changes that were already happening. That's a great point. People will say to me, like, well, did the pandemic kill churches? Yes and no. Those churches that it, that closed during the pandemic already had a pre-existing condition, mm -hmm. much like those that are passing away because of the pandemic. They they had issues that were not healthy, mm -hmm. and churches that had issues that were not healthy were really exposed during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a really difficult time just to figure out how to lead, but then throw into that social media mix as well when anal analytics and and your algorithms are really determining what you're seeing. So if you have a bent towards masks or no masks, that's what's on your feed. And so if you have to make a decision on reopening with or without, whatever analytics the people are looking at, their algorithms are going to tell you you're 100% right or 100% wrong, yep. and then they just get on social media and tell you how great of a leader you were or how terrible you were, mm -hmm. and how you know Ichabod is upon my church because <laughs> you know my pastor said I have to or I can't. So I mean, like it's it's just kind of silly, and it, and America in itself right now is just in such an awkward and odd place in that you can't say. Uh, the sky is blue without it becoming political. Mm -hmm. So if you say anything, it's it's divided right down the middle. It, pick a right. subject. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, and so pastors were really are still. I mean, I was on a phone yesterday with a pastor in a rural community where um, three families came and said, if you don't make my, your church mask, we're leaving. And others are like, you walk into them and... I mean, it, it's it's all or it's none. Uh, because I travel and am fully vaccinated, thankfully. I'm a vaccination fan, personally. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in city churches and rural churches, and the difference is night and day. Um, rural, there is no pandemic in their minds, and there's like 3 to 5% masked up. City, it seems like it's 95%. And then... Pastors are just getting, you know, pick a pick a subject. Black Lives Matter. Well, that's a political statement. It's not a social justice statement and saying, hey, we have some issues to deal with in America. It's no, you're black lives, I'm blue lives. And it's like, well, why would we even have to have that discussion? But yet it's it's fully alive in the church. And if you say anything about injustice, you say anything about things that are going on, you've just divided the room, just just like that. And so mm -hmm. we're experiencing all kinds of things that the church has never had to walk through. And it's really put a pressure on pastors. 
Um, I'll give you an example. I've mm-hmm. done 96 transitions in the 12 years that I've been the district supervisor full-time uh, for these five states. In the last 15 months, I've done 30 of those 96. Oh That's a third. Yeah. Almost a, a third. third. In 15 months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, they didn't all just quit because of pandemic sure. or injustice sure. or, yep. I mean, there's a perfect storm, right? I mean, there was a bunch of boomers, there's health, there's there's all kinds of issues. But the point is, pastors are really having a difficult time. There's not a lot of people giving them kudos going like, hey, I love you, you're amazing. I mean, when I had conflicts 12 years ago in the previous 20 pastoring on Whidbey, the conflicts would be about like, like I remember one time I removed the uh, head usher because I thought he asked me to. The guy still hasn't gone back to church ever because I fired him as the head usher. Like I, I thought he asked me to. Like I'm just trying to do the best I can do. Um, those are the kind of conflicts we had to deal with. You know, the color of the carpet, um, liturgy. Do you sing six songs or eight songs? You know, I'm like those. You're ruining my church because of those kinds of things. Today, the issues are so much more uh, yeah. vehement. Yeah, I mean they're just like. They're they're like angry issues, um, and they are they are like friend division. I I do not talk to you. And cancel culture, you know, the church has really jumped on cancel culture and how bad it is. But the church is the worst at cancel culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you say black and I believe white. I'm done with you. You're mm-hmm. out. Yeah. You're a bad leader. You're a bad man. Ichabod. Mm-hmm. God has left you. And um, those things are really stinging for pastors. You know, yeah. They're really stinging for that volunteer organization that you're building to try to reach people for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you're stuck um, having to, to reevaluate what's going on inside of you and why you made this decision and was it the right decision and was it wrong and are these people really right and what's wrong with me and... You know, and then you go home and, you know, the the dog is the only one that's your friend, you know? So, like, those are difficult things for a pastor to walk through. <laughs> your, the, your congregation that listens to you, you know, it's awesome. Sorry, I had a visual while you did that. It was powerful. Yeah, yeah. That's where I'm trying out my new sermons. Except I don't have a dog. So what do you do when you don't have a dog? You borrow someone else's. You just go out into the neighborhood. The yeah, neighborhood. I'd go to the beach. I mean, yeah. Preach at the beach. I mean, everything you're saying, obviously, I resonate with because I live... I live in it like right. you. And um, I think I think for uh, me and Chris Manginelli talked about this last week. We, we just talked about how to have a healthy heart through all this. And I asked him, like, what were some of the hard things that you had to go through? And it was really just, he talked about relational pain. Yeah, I think for me, like the internal conflict has been so great because sometimes, uh, like I have come up with a new term. I call it labelism. And, and it comes out of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. Same measure you use It'll be measured back to you. Yeah. Anyways, the point of that is that I kind of started teaching that Jesus wasn't saying we can't judge behavior, because certainly we need to. We need to be able to distinguish between right and wrong right. and good and bad. But what he was saying is that there's a the definitive nature of our judgment is for God alone. In other words, if I say you're a leftist or you're a right-wing conservative, mm-hmm. today, practically speaking, those are the terms that I think we label people with so that we don't have to listen to you. Yeah. And the church is really good at that. They're really great right. and and uh, and manipulation. And that's some of the exposure of this season can be used for God to help us change and be converted into Christ-like people. And I've had to go through that personally right. because I'm not suggesting I'm exempt. But I think that when we when we just sort of think about the pandemic, and I've looked at other churches. I know for us, for example, um, we don't always know exactly where the church is at. Our church was about 1,800 average attendance. Uh, This is just people that came on a weekend. And then uh, right now we're 850, 800, 850. We, We don't really know. And it can actually fluctuate you know, a hundred. We've even had one week to another two hundred difference. And there's uh, my children's pastor said that she has no way to. Pl- she, we don't even know how to plan. No. We don't even know how to plan because we don't know how many kids are going to be there, how many teachers we're going to need, and so we kind of plan for the larger extent. But we really have no clue. Even services, like we used to be able to like have a rhythm of 9 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. and our 5 p.m. We used to know about how many people. Right. We have no normal now. We have yeah. no, like normal is not normal yeah. at all. So it's, there's a lot that's changed and, and, and uh, 
I have 12 less staff members. Um, we've, tr we've tried to do a good job of, of, of financial stewardship and, and frugality. We've had plenty of people leave. We've had lots of people come. Um, and I've talked to a lot of pastors, and that's not all their story. Some of their story is things have just shrunk, and they have no idea what's going on. Um, the political issues, the political polarization is so bad that no, even they'll say the same thing, but the way they handle the issue like we can agree on the issue, okay, this is what I believe, but then how we then deal with the issue is now the disagreement. Right. Like new, there's not a place for nuance. And I've pleaded with some people even during the season, I've said, be patient with me. Gosh, I'm yeah. 41. I'm, an, I'm barely, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not a millennial, but I'm just on the bottom end of an Xer. And uh, so there's things I don't know. Uh, there's things I haven't led through and even boomers haven't had to lead through. And I'm Nobody. trying to get advice from people and... Um, I'm trying to grapple with the issues and, and pray through and fast and seek God and get advice and all of that. It's been so much, so fast. And um, I would say that it's there's been a detriment. Uh, there's been things that have detrimental to the church that have deeply affected us and impact us. But there's also been some great things that have happened. Yeah. Let me ask you about that. What have you seen, even if it's a clarifying moment, what have you seen that you feel like, man, this is really good? The pandemic, you know, people dying... Um, businesses being closed down. Oh, okay, fine. All the bad, that's bad stuff. Yeah. But what have you seen for the church that you feel like that was really good? That's clarifying. That's really going to be helpful. Yeah, that's been really, really exciting, actually, because um, when you look at what pressure does, it makes you stop and go, well, this is what's important. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to somebody, well, actually, my son-in-law, Mark, who um, lost his mom just a, a maybe a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, but did the memorial service this weekend. And, and so he was talking about what's important. Who's going to come to my funeral? All of a sudden, so like wow, yeah. that that's like, okay, what, what are really important to me? And churches have had to do the same thing. Right. What's really important? And churches that have taken this on as an opportunity are finding incredible fruit. I mean, just like people coming to Christ like crazy, new new venues, Podcasts, for example, online, for example, um, people are finding ways to do uh, great ministry. You and I were talking earlier about Rick Warren's podcast where he talked about having started, they started 1,500 new small groups mm -hmm. this last year and baptized more than they've ever baptized. While other people are complaining that, you know, we live in communism and we've been, we've been shuttered for 15, 16 months now. Well, it all depends on how you see the world. Do you see the world as Jesus giving you this opportunity to go reach people? Or right. do you see this as, you know, this terrible thing that, you know, the government is trying to do to you? Frankly, I don't think the government thinks much about us. Not at all. <laughs> I don't think they care about us all, all that much. No. You know, until they get hundreds of complaints that, you know, yeah, you're you, doing something yeah. wrong, right. then they come in and try to shut you down or whatever and fight with you. And I, I get that. But but the bottom line is we're not thought a lot about right now in culture. We were what drove culture 100 years ago, for example. Today, you know, pastors were one of the most respected people in America. Today, we're one of the least respected totally, people. Totally true. So how do you deal with that? Well, if you're on mission, you're not trying to get respect from the city council. You're trying to reach people for Jesus. And when you have people that are uh, on target and on, on track that are discipled and out doing the stuff, they're just seeing tons and tons of opportunity. Pe people, Christians run two battles, and we've run away from them. We, we've made it about political, just like the world's made everything political. And people that have made this about mission are just rocking uh, as churches. They're doing amazing. Um, so I think that that is defining what's really important to people. And I think that, you know, we talked about the online for a minute, and there's going to have to become new ways to do ministry. Mm -hmm. um, this book, The Agile Church, has really impacted me mm -hmm. by Dwight Schizzle, or Z-S-C-H-E-I-L-E. -S 
and he talks about how Dyson vacuum cleaners, Mr. Dyson, uh, had 5,127, I think it was, prototypes before he hit on the one that is now on our Costco shelves that everybody's taking home with them. Mm-hmm. The church has had the, I have one. <laughs> the, church has, the church has had the same prototype for 100 years, yep. and now all of a sudden they're saying, you can't do this prototype, and we're like, oh, no, you know, the government's horrible. Now, I'm not pro what's going on in our state. Trust me, don't don't get me started. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that Jesus is waking up going like, oh, no, our governor isn't going to let us gather. That's what we were called to do. We weren't called to gather. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, forsake not the assembling. Okay, I got that one. But we were also told to make disciples. Mm-hmm. How do you make disciples? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. We did a lot of nickels and noses and not a lot of discipleship making. Mm-hmm. How, do you gonna, how are you going to make disciples in a new culture? And the culture is different. It is changing. And trying to just do the same thing that we've done forever, you know, what's, what is, uh, what's the saying? It, it, the, the, I can't get it right now, but it basically talks about how... Insanity, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Mm -hmm. And we've been doing that. And so now all of a sudden we have to do some different things. Mm -hmm. So I think there are really amazing things that are going on. Um, I see churches transitioning and, and, and people will tell me this all the time. I knew it. I knew it. God wants us all to go to simple churches, right? The mega church is over, right? The big church is done. You just gave your statistics, which are misleading in a sense because you've done this sort of thing. And you have a ton of followers online. Mm -hmm. So ask a pastor how they're doing right now. And they'll just give you a blank stare. Mm -hmm. How's your church right now? And they're like, ah, because we can't count what we used to count. Yeah, no idea. We have no idea. You can count. I can can tell you names. If I can tell you names, I can tell you how they're doing. But what we've never been able to count is views, and we've never had people experimenting so much mm-hmm. with these different prototypes like Dyson in doing discipleship making. Mm-hmm. You're making disciples online. You've been doing that for a decade or more. Mm-hmm. Most people are like, what, 15 months into this? Right. And they'll tell me, like, I can't do online church. I'm terrible. I watched my first one I did. I fired myself from ever preaching. I'm like, that is so bad. Right. Why didn't somebody tell me it was that bad? We just go robotish. <laughs> I love you today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was awful. And so... Um, People, particularly in smaller churches, will say, "Well, I can't podcast because I can't, I can't make the, or I can't do online church even because I can't make it amazing." And what you're finding is that people aren't looking for slick; they're looking for passion over polish. Right now, incredibly so, they're looking for the truth. The church has been able to make things look fake, and we need to make things look real because we're just being real and having a real conversation about how we're doing, how what God's doing in our life, what's God do, doing in churches. So, I see amazing things going on, um, but they're they're smaller. Fifteen percent, the stats are, of the churches are growing. Eighty-five percent currently are in are in decline or plateaued. Mm -hmm. So talk about the state of a church or a pastor rather. Well, most of them are pastoring the 85%. Mm -hmm. And few of them, the 15% are going like, let's take this hill. And so we need more Dyson types that are going to try anything and then change, try anything and then change, try anything and then change, and see if it makes more disciples. Instead of talking about how this terrible this is that, you know, we've been locked out of our own churches. That's just, it's not an invalid perspective. It's just not a kingdom building perspective. Right. I mean, if I agree. I think if everything's an opportunity, it just depends on your mindset. 100%. If we're missional, I think the people that are missionally minded are going to do what you're saying. They're going to yeah. take everything as an opportunity because our goal, our primary goal is to reach people. Right. Yes, we're going to gather, whether we gather smaller or larger or however we, however we do that. But I, um, I started a series on the church, I called it the blueprint, the church that God is building, which is, you know, it's not the church we're building. And so right. I, the, the point was, who are we? What do we do? How do we do it? And the how it, it can change. And that, that's the thing. We know who we are, according to scripture, what we do. The mission's very, very clear. How we do it was the element or the component that yeah. we've got to continue to refine, that we have to be willing to, to change that. And the reason that I started that series, I think I did eight weeks on it, 
it was just a handful of conversations to say, if we can't change and if we don't change and if we don't adapt, then the mission that we've been given by Jesus thousands of years ago will not successfully move from us to another generation. And that has to be a major goal for us. Right. Like, how do we put this into the hands of others that are going to take it farther and do better? We First, we have to do a good job with what we have. Right. Change is normal. Like you said, nothing's constant except for change. I don't remember how you said it, but right. like ch- change, is, change is a factor. It's a component. Like right. we've got to change a lot of stuff, not for change sake, but things have to change. And so I've used this opportunity in the pandemic, not... Not, I don't entirely see it as an opportunity, but we have to see the opportunities within, within the, the bad stuff yeah. to make the changes that need to be made. So I, one of the things as a pastor I looked for is what, what was dying, what is dying. Yeah. So don't resurrect what is dying. Just let it, just bury it, uh, put a memorial stone on it, remember it. That's awesome. We build on the past, but we don't worship the past. Yeah. The past is a beautiful thing, and we remember it. Just like our loved ones, we remember them, you know, but they want us to continue to do life well and to continue to live life the way that we're supposed to. And I think that's what the whole past is. It's it's a witness for us to grow. And I've used it for that. So I've let things die or I've had to put things um, down in order to uh, see other things grow. And so the Lord gave me two words. I believe that it was the Lord in my mind. And I've shared this with the staff and some of the churches that reduce and build. Uh, the word prune kind of sounds like just hack something off, you know. I, I, don't, I don't really like the. And it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's a churchy word we've used. Who right. knows what it means? But the word reduce. Let's just reduce down to the size that we are in person, and then online, and let's reduce our ministry down to kind of where we are, and then and then start to build infrastructure, start to build out for the future. Right. How do we? You know, where are we going? What? How are we going to reach people today? I've learned, like you said, not only does the government. You know, I don't even think they're that mindful of us. No. You know, I, they don't they don't care. I would actually t- I, I've said this that a lot of people in our communities don't think about us. No, not, not until not we mess with all. them. Not until we when we went outside and did services. We did services outside. Um, we got complaints. We had the cops come, and it was all great. You know, and then we what we did was we put together these hundred dollar baskets of gift cards and everything else. We gave them to all the neighbors because we just wanted to say, hey. We have Sorry. to do. We have to do this. We love you. We'll, we'll try to only have the music starting at right. this time. We try to turn the decibel levels down, but we had hundreds, hundreds of people for multiple services in our parking lot. So it was it was tough, and and uh, and they still called the cops on us. God bless you if you're watching. I don't know if you ever watch or listen to us, but we love you. We do love you. You're our neighbor. We care about you, and we own four of the houses on that block right there. So. There's a few of them we don't own. We don't know who who called, but we gave all of them gift baskets for n- nonetheless. But most people aren't thinking about us. They're no. not thinking about the church. So we really do have an opportunity to open our eyes to the community and say, how can we get into the lives of people? Yeah, you know. Sometimes right now, and I know this can sound controversial for for some, depending on their mindset, but people are thinking, how do we get into places of influence in the culture and the community? And they're thinking that because they want to dominate it. 100%. And that's sort of a little bit like, it, how do we like turn this around? And, I, and, I, and, and sometimes that's out of fear because we think that if we don't, we're never going to get back to who we are. I think part of the problem is, is that we don't know where we're supposed to go. If we're just trying to get back and we need to get into these places of influence and position so that we can sort of recapture something, I guess my question is, are we really happy with the disciple making that we've been doing? The freedoms that we have in this country, I can go right down the street. Like I've shared the gospel with several people at the coffee shop that I go to. I've invited several of them to church. Two of them have come to our church. Nothing prohibits me or stands in my way from being a legitimate um, Christ-centered witness to people that I just simply love and buy coffee from. Nothing, nothing has ever stopped me from that. Right. Not a mask, not anything. And I've been an advocate of that, that I'm not, whether you're a masker or a non-masker, I'm sort of agnostic when it comes to masks. You know, there's well, something the CDC to... said, yeah. has a taping of this yesterday, you don't have to wear them if you're vaccinate, vaccinated. Right. What kind of mess is that going to turn us into? Well, I, I'm actually <laughs> going to talk to our church this weekend, so this will be a week later, but I'm going to talk to our church this weekend and just sort of set a precedent of just a five-minute pitch and... and 
and it's going to be a mess. It, it will 100%. <laughs> there was, there was masks, a mess. and now it's going to be vaccinations. <laughs> and so in my effort to not turn the, turn the church political, and also I don't want to not lead during this time, right. I'm just going to state for the record, here's where we're at. And uh, here's where we're going to step in. We're not going to make these things political because uh, like Rick, uh, Rick Warren, I think, uh, uh, even talked about that on his podcast. And I've come to really respect him. He just talked about the political spirit. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm not interested. It doesn't mean politics don't matter. I'm just not interested in being led by a political spirit. Right. So let me, let me ask you this. When, when we just move towards like the future of the church, because that's really what I'm consumed with. Yeah. I'm not sure about what I think about everything, but I certainly am trying things. And I know you've been an advocate of that. Yeah. You've said things like, go make a mess. And what yeah. you're saying is like, go try, experiment, right. be the Dyson person. Right. We've just got to reach people. Keep that as the goal. I love that about you. And I think that um, I was out there in the crowd when you started saying it, you know, right. and I, th- I just want to tell you, you're not only right, but like, you're more right now than you were Ever. then. Mm-hmm. And that, it sounds funny, but experimentation is a lost art in the church 100%. when we're locked into the mission. You know, we're always criticized. There's some of these watchdog ministries, like criticizing everybody. It's like, oh, they're this and they're that. And they're the, like, just if you could stop trying to watch everybody else's ministry and just go reach people, maybe we'd all be better too, yeah. you know. But I'm just curious, like when we think about the future of the church, what do you, I'm sure you've thought about this, prayed about this. What What do you think, like where, where you don't know. Where are we going? Where do we need to go? What do we need to be focused on? Well, it's it's still the make a mess and it's still the mission. That's still nothing changes really. But the problem has been that we have had that one prototype. And and it's really not even true. We haven't had one prototype. We've thought we have have. I remember starting this gig 12 years ago and starting to travel to all these churches and being totally mind blown that they hadn't got the same download from the Lord that I'd gotten on their liturgy. And they did things differently than Mm -hmm. I did. And I thought, everybody, we're all four squares. I'm traveling in that circle. I'm expecting to to see the same church. And you've traveled a lot. Mm -hmm. They're not. No, not at all. They think they are. Mm -hmm. We all think we're doing the same thing. Thing, but we're all doing it very differently based upon our own interpretation of how we would see the Father um, expressing His love to people. And, and that's not right or wrong, but it doesn't give for a lot of liberty to people to do things different. And Mark talks about uh, when, when they've come to Jesus and they said, there was somebody casting demons out in your name. Right. We told him to stop it. That's right. And he's like, why? I have a friend that says, there's lots of ways to make chicken. Go make chicken. There's lots of ways to do church. And nobody cares how your neighbor eats chicken. You just don't even think about it. Like, are they eating it correctly? But church people want to know whether or not you're doing the right liturgy and the right size of a room, the right number of people, the number of songs, you know, are they Hillsong or Bethel? I mean, like, I don't know. Just people divide over the silliest things. And so the Dyson example is probably the best one. We need to try scores and scores and scores of different types of opportunities to witness, to worship, to make disciples, and and then adjust. Try it and adjust it. And that's one of the beauties of, of podcasting and other electronic types of things is like, you don't have to put on your podcast, I'll see you next Sunday at 11. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can drop one of these a week, one of a month, you could drop one every day. There's lots of ways to try right. to do this. And I was just listening to somebody the other day that's dropping a, de- a Devo every day. I think you did that in, during the beginning. I don't know if you're still doing that. We're going to go back to once a week. Bible Foundations with Ben Dixon? Yes. Once a week, though. But that's making disciples. <laughs> that's right. We did it's it every, We did it five disciples. days a week, then three. Yeah, exactly. Think about what yep. people are consuming today. If you're an older adult, you're consuming hours of cable news. Yeah. Left or right. Pick your side. Yep. Talk to them for five minutes. You know which one they're listening I to. I totally do. Young people, uh, you pick the age, they're on hours and hours of social media. Mm -hmm. They're not learning anything about the news. They don't care about the world. (laughs) In fact, Mark Few, who attends a four-square church in Spokane, uh, they made the run into the NCAA tournament, made to the finals. And I remember some reporter asking this question, what does your team think about the 75-76 Indiana Hoosiers being the only team that have, the last team that have run the table undefeated? And uh, won the championship. And Mark looked at him and goes like, 
yeah, my kids aren't thinking about that. They're on social media. Right. So they're not reading the history of the NC2A. They're like, who did the funniest TikTok? Right. And they're going to play basketball. Right, right. You know, and so young people are doing that. That's what they're filled with. Old people are filled with some sort of anger on the left or the right. Mm-hmm. And, and then they get 30 minutes of discipleship on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Tw- two times pre-pandemic, two times a month, mind you. So what are you filled with? You know what they're filled with. I don't have to ask you. So the future of the church is figuring out how to make disciples when news network and social media have already made much better and stronger disciples than we have. Mm -hmm. We've failed. Mm -hmm. They've done amazing. Mm -hmm. We have to figure out how to capture people and, and the the thing that you're doing, like the the Ben Dixon Bible, whatever you're calling it, I mean, like those are tr- those are attempts to do that. And people, we need to need to keep trying different right. ways to make disciples. I, I don't know what the future looks like, but I know it doesn't look like completely the past. Mm-hmm. And yet, when we gather, there's two things that we really are going to do, no matter how you change it. It's going to be worship and the word. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be making disciples, so those are the elements. What we get caught up into is, you know, do your do you do your chicken barbecue or do you bake it? And mm-hmm. you know, those are dividing issues in the church today, and they and they ought not be. We ought to be celebrating. Mm-hmm. I was recently with a young leader, and I just come from visiting this um, large church plant in Florida, and and. This young person is doing a dinner church model, and they looked at me and they said, "Like, do people still go to churches like that? We get so wrapped up into how we do our chicken that we don't even think the rest of it exists. We're part of a larger body of Christ that does things all kinds of different ways, and we should celebrate, not be antagonistic about how somebody does it differently. Mm-hmm. And usually those things come out of insecurities. They come out of like okay, you're going to judge me because I'm doing it differently than you are. Or they'll look at their social media numbers or whatever it is they're trying to do to reach people. Because let's face it, if you have a small dinner church model, you don't want to just have 12 people in your table forever. You want to reach people. You want to make more disciples. That's biblical. So Mm -hmm. we compare ourselves to others, and that's, that's just what's so detrimental about anything human is when we compare ourselves, which is social media, you can bash on that pretty easily for that because we only put down, you know, the pictures where we look great. If I post a picture of my wife, trust me, it has been cleared. Because I have done it when I haven't cleared That's it. That's good advice right there, by yes. the way. Somebody's, got, somebody's getting delivered. I have, right? Because <laughs> I have done the opposite. I'm like, you look great. What are you talking about? I look terrible. You can't post that. I'm like, yeah. so we're only posting the good ones. And having real conversations like this, and yeah. you know, we're not going to sit around and edit this all day. Um, it's going to be just this no is edit. what we're talking about. No, no edit, no script. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? What's amazing is that w- w- with the future of the church, my predecessor, Pastor Steve Shell, he told me um, he be- he believed that there was a place for the pulpit and the podium. Yeah. The pulpit was for the word, and the podium was for conversations. Yeah. And so I talked to him about that because I had this idea. I started these things in the church during our transition called Off the Record. I remember that. And the whole idea was we can ask anything. Everything's on the table. It's uh, but there's no polish. There's no script. There's no nothing. We're just let's just talk. And and that went. To be honest with you, it. I didn't get any what I would consider provocative questions, not until the pandemic. In the pandemic, what was interesting, the first membership class that I did, we signed on more members and we did more baptisms in 2020 than I can look back in records for, awesome. for some time. I mean, there, there probably were years back where that was, there was more here, but I could easily see that there were just more baptisms and there was yeah. more uh, members that were committed. So commitment yeah. was actually, 2020 was a year of, of reducing in commitment in my, in my mind, at least in, in our ministry. But questions were being asked in the membership meeting like they had never been asked. I yeah. mean, people were not asking these questions. People were going to the membership meeting. They were looking at it. You know, do I agree? Do I not? K- kind of. Now, 
I actually upfront tell people, hey, we have two classes to become members. This is not some elite club. We don't believe you have to, you know, this is some kind of thing for you to be special and other people aren't. But this is just every team has a roster. You know, every country has a census. We're just wanting to know who's committed. Right. And really the biggest issue for membership is do you align with us? Do you agree with these yes. these these statements? Do you agree with where we're going? We, we're trying to keep it close to the mission of Christ and our expression of that. But at the same time, we want people to ask questions. Hey, right. why do you say this? And why is this your value? And what do you do here? And it really has clarified um, simple things like that, which have been um, really good. So we've told people, I have up front said, come with your questions. I want you to ask questions. I want you to feel like you're, there's a sense of alignment. I don't want you to six months later go, what does this church think? You know, right. I, don't wa- I don't want that because that's not going to help the future of the church. That's not at all. So something that's helped me think about the future of the church is to make sure we clarify, not every detail, not every distinctive, but clarify the things that are going to matter so people do know their church. And I have noticed Mm -hmm. that there's a hunger from people to want to know things that maybe previously we, we were kind of assuming. Right. And that has kind of gone away. And I think that will be a healthy part of the future is that people will... There's been a huge shuffling of the deck, like people have left this church and gone over to this church. And I personally think some people are going to wake up and go... I made a mistake, yeah, right? Because today's hero is tomorrow's goat. You know, so <laughs> some people are using the pandemic in a way that isn't biblical church. But I don't sit around and judge that. But I think I think for a lot of us pastors who are just wanting to do service to the Bible and say, God, I just want to make disciples. I want to keep the mission going. The church might get reduced, but maybe it just gets reduced to mission, mm-hmm. and that's just fine with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I'm looking at the future of the church, what, what I'm, my hope is, is that we sort of let go of, of some of the preferential things that have been most important to us and take up the majority things that we have to do this. Oh. We have to be okay with change so that. We have to be okay with methodology shifting so that, so yeah. that we can reach, so that we can actually become not relevant in a hip sense, but relevant in a biblical sense to the people that we live around. I mean, if we're not even in their lives, nobody cares anyways. Right. Not to dominate them, but to liberate, you know, like right. just like I was 22 years ago. Um, what questions do you have for me? I've asked you a lot of questions. I, I, I didn't necessarily plan on doing this, but what questions do you have for me as a pastor as we think about the future of the church? Yeah, I think as things are changing, um, making disciples, we've talked a lot about that and how you're doing it online and, and in the church. We talked a lot about what different styles of church are going to look like. But what's evangelism going to look like in the future? You do evangelism. Boomers were trained in a completely different manner. Um, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, I've never felt effective at evangelism, so I think that's underlying it all, right? I mean, honestly, I've never felt like, man, I'm really good at this. Um, but I can say I have a conviction. And so part of the way that I think, and I'm, I'm assuming that this, uh, at least the way, the way that I think is probably most important because it, what you do is based on how you think, I... I don't. I don't have this mindset of like, let's just go out to the streets. You know, let's. Uh, I've been around people that do that. That walk up to people and they just say, "Hey, have you heard the good news?" And they think like they missed something in the news because it's entirely negative. Right. And the person goes, "No, what is it?" And then they start going, "Well, Jesus came, died, rose again." And then they sort of bait switch that person. And again, like methodology aside, like, gosh, do whatever works. You know, it doesn't work for me. Right. But what I think is that I get my hair cut at Sports Clip, shout out to you. I get my coffee at Starbucks, uh, love you guys. I go to Costco, I go to Fred Myers. I go to Safeway. So my goal is to talk to the people that I'm around all the time, get yeah. to know them, know their name. Do they have a family? Um, what are their likes, their dislikes? Kind of have fun with them, build a relationship, build a rapport. Questions get asked in that context, and it always comes up. The Lord always comes up. My testimony always comes up. I had the privilege of raising my wife's children. They're my stepkids. That always comes up because we live in a a world of a lot of divorces and blended families. And so my life becomes sort of an open book where not a lot of people are open. People aren't like, hey, let me share all my story. But once they do start opening up, they'll share their problems. They'll share their pain. And in that, you can not just shine a light on all your victories. I share my pain with people. So my underlying conviction is to try to bridge uh, conversations to people that I see all the yeah. time or regularly. So that's that's the way that I do it. So evangelism to me, the goal is to eventually share the gospel. 
and what that means to me. One of the things I like to do pre-pandemic, and I'm going to do this now because I've got a few people on my radar, is to actually go out to lunch with people mm-hmm. and, and, and during that time share with them my testimony and the gospel. That's really what I did. But to build up to that took me – it takes quite a bit. It takes yeah. a, quite a bit of rapport. So I've always told people, go to the same places, build relationships with people, remember their names, learn their families' names and what's going on in their life if they're going to school. and. But I think sometimes Christians, we can be socially inept and we right. live in bubbles and we're not really that interested in getting to know people. People are inconveniences rather than targets for God's love. So. Right. I honestly, this is my mindset. This is what Bridget and I teach our kids. This is what I talk to our church about. So evangelism is simple. It's relational. It's practical. And then sometimes it's just spirit-led, like the Holy Spirit will give me a word. That doesn't happen all the time. Right. But when it does, I'm very open and available to it. But the rest of the time, I just have conversations with people all the time. And when you insert yourself into somebody else's life, anything can happen. I think the reason we don't do evangelism is because we don't insert ourselves into anybody's life at any point. And that's probably one of the greatest setbacks is if we live in a bubble, if we sort of are tribalistic, you know, and we're spending too much time... Um, what you know, not, inside or doing our programs and routines, and we're not interested in getting out and getting to know our neighbors and neighborhoods and all that stuff. Then obviously, you just won't have the opportunities. If you don't have an opportunity, you won't have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's opportunities, right. conversation, and then sharing of the gospel. So Barna would say in his research that only 34% of us evangelical Christians can have a relationship without being judgmental of that person's quote-unquote sin. So being a boomer myself, you're not. Mm -hmm. Um, When I became a Christian, we ran around with the four spiritual laws and things Mm -hmm. like that, the thief in the night, the cross and the switchblade, um, the late great planet Earth, and they were all questions on if you died today... Where are you going to be? Mm-hmm. And what's going to take care of the sin in your life? Sin r- implies that there's something wrong with you. Most Americans wouldn't identify with sin. They wouldn't identify with heaven or hell. And they're being judged by the majority of us who are trying to do evangelism. And so mm-hmm. one of the things I think is going to happen in the future is we have to begin to understand that there are broken people out there mm-hmm. that want to have a relationship with God. And it's not going to be based upon whether or not you can scare the H-E double hockey stick, my mom used to always say, out of them. <laughs> it's based upon whether or not they believe and you present to them a God that cares about their pain mm-hmm. and would love them right where they are. Mm-hmm. And so I think that Flipping the script on evangelism Mm -hmm. for the next generation, and it has to do with relationship and brokenness as opposed to heaven and hell Mm -hmm. and, you know, who's on the seat of your life right now. So I think that as the church, and and if you you look at large church, small church, uh, those are the the controversies within, like, which is really God doing today? Well, he's doing both, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But what... The people in the smaller dinner-type churches are revolting against is, is the relational side. They say there's no relationship in a large church. Well, you pastor one, and so if there's anything you're working constantly on, it's the relational side, sure. right? Because that's sure. where discipleship happens. Sure. So we understand that. And yet what's happening in these smaller uh dinner type church is is that they're really getting into relationship with broken people that are full of sin Mm -hmm. according to a boomer mindset and finding out that there's people and god that loves them and so as that begins to change the way we look at church Mm -hmm. i think that evangelism will take off in a completely different manner Mm -hmm. which you've been doing just naturally because you're not a boomer Mm -hmm. um And I think that the church will begin to make disciples out of people that are really far from God, not just because we scared them into eternity, which is what the goal was in the 70s. I mean, we were literally trying to scare them that they might die, be hit by a car. And that's what we asked them. You could have hit by a car today. Where are you going to be? And they're like, oh, I'm going to heaven. I'm a bad person. I'm going to hell. I know I'd end up in hell. Well, you better pray this prayer. Okay, okay, I'll pray. I might just go to jail every Sunday, not not just to do ministry. Glad people. you're out. We're glad you're out. <laughs> Every Sunday. And it was easy to do 
ministry with those people in the 70s because they're like, I'm a bad person. That's why I'm stuck back here. Right. Yes, I'll pray the prayer. I mean, they would all pray the prayer because they didn't want to go to hell. Yeah. Most people today don't believe in a heaven and a hell. Their worldview yeah. is so different. Yeah. So what is it that we're giving them? Yeah. Well, we're giving them peace that passes all understanding. That's what I went after. Yeah. I went after peace. I used to get that in a joint. Now I got it, you know, mm-hmm. just by going to God. And so I think that evangelism and discipleship, you can't just say they're one or the other. Sure. You can't do discipleship without it being evangelism. Mm-hmm. But today, we're not doing well with discipleship, and we're not making disciples that lead new people to the Lord. So as we adjust that with large and small uh, places of worship, we're going to see disciples be made all around the world. And let's not forget that America isn't the only part of the church. Mm -hmm. The church is thriving in South America. The church is thriving in parts of Africa. The church is amazing. Where is it not doing well? Europe, other than immigration. Where is it not doing well? America, other than immigrants. And so I think if we were to concentrate upon those people groups as well, we would find amazing fruit. I agree. I, I think it's interesting you brought up evangelism because uh, I think we, the church has known this. I mean, gosh, I've been in seminars and conferences, and we've been talking about evangelism you know, forever and discipleship. But the reality is, is COVID uh, expedited our need Mm -hmm. to not only know this, but do this, right? We have to be practitioners in this season because really you get stripped down to what you are, not just what you think uh, or your the theoretical conversations. We can have these conversations and we have had them for years. I've, I've been around and heard them and had some of them, but now it's kind of like, What's the substance of your of your ministry? And right. I think it's a good time for churches and and leaders and, and and really anybody that's a Christian to just say just to evaluate: Am I am I part of the mission? Mm-hmm. One one of the things that was interesting, which I've I've heard as a pastor, is like you don't do very many altar calls. I think that statement reveals something to me. It it reveals that a lot of the way we think people come to Christ mm-hmm. is they walk into the church on a Sunday, and right. if they don't hear that call of salvation at the end of a sermon, then they're, we're going to let them walk out of the doors and not be saved. I think that's really the presupposition that's, that, that sort of is the foundation for a person saying you don't do a lot of altar calls is potentially also part of the problem is, is that we're not meeting those people. We're not having discernment in the services for them, and we're not meeting them in our neighborhoods and sports right. clips and Starbucks and all that. It's an, it's an interesting thought. I, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I'm kind of messed up by Spurgeon. I read about Charles Spurgeon, how he would preach, and he would never do an altar call. Yeah. And then he... Um, Pretty good guy to be messed up by. Yeah, and he would say, he would say to people at the end of his message, he would say, if you really want to be born again then meet me here. My office is here at 12 p.m. And they would say, some of the books that I've read would say there was a line around the block at 12 p.m. the next day because he always wanted to be sure that somebody was making not an emotional decision, but a real sacrificial decision to follow Jesus. His job was to explain it and not just to like compulsively get somebody to to make this decision. So he wanted them to sleep on it, you know, right or wrong. But my my point is, is that when you bring up evangelism and the future of the church, I think there are a lot of things we've been saying for a long time that now now we just need to have boots on the ground. We, we sure. really need to get out into the community. We really need to be in conversations with people. And I want to say, I want to say something really encouraging. A lot of the times, like I, I, I had the privilege of leading somebody to the Lord the other night. What was amazing is is that. When you disciple one person, it's kind of like the woman at the well. Here's this person nobody else is going to talk to. She's out at the well in a time that she knew nobody else would interact with her. Jesus encounters her. She has this incredible thing happen with her and Jesus. And she obviously becomes a believer that he's the Messiah, goes back to Samaria and becomes the greatest evangelist Samaria's ever seen, minus Philip, (laughs) who comes later. But what's amazing is is that um, you just never know who that one person is that you're going to disciple that's going to be the accelerant of evangelism right. to touch a whole neighborhood or a city or or a school. And I've watched that over the years, and, and it's made me think a lot in this season. Like, um, I, we, there's, a pers- there's a couple people in our church that 
uh, have been walking the road of discipleship, and they have been the greatest evangelistic people because 100%. they have they have no issues with talking with anybody. They they don't have any religious baggage, right? And so for them, it's all about sharing testimony. And so I just think this is what discipleship again produces or reproduces: mm-hmm. is that sometimes we're not going to be the best or the most proficient or efficient at something. We still want to try. We still want to be out there sharing with people how we can, when we can, you know. But man, there are these people around us that if we would just disciple them, they are going to be the woman at the well types who will do what we can't do. So I think evangelism and discipleship really honing down and getting this, whatever way we do it, but really getting this right is the future of the church. Let me piggyback on that as well. Because... You're talking about the relational side, which I 100% believe in, and I think that's where boomers have just like we've been lost because we we're supposed to scare the hell out of them, and they don't even believe that. So, but I think another thing to to understand for particularly for pastors out there that are leading churches is you're doing evangelism every time you speak. Mm-hmm. If you put it out into the airwaves, you don't know who's going to click on you and who's going to listen to this and who could potentially make a decision. I heard one person say pre-pandemic that people would watch their church services for up to a year before they'd ever walk into the church. Mm. So people are making their determination whether to ever come visit you based upon their experience with you online and whether or not they resonate, whether they think you're real, whether they think you're honest, whether they think you're trying to just sell them something and, and you're fake. <clears throat> so people are responding that way. So so that's your new fellowship, Paul. That's your new, or your new foyer is online. That's a great way to put it. And I think that we also have to understand that younger adults aren't looking at church the same way we do. We talk about church being a family. Come join the family. And so if they trip in one day and they raise their hand or however you do that, we think, boom, they're part of the family. Mm -hmm. And what they see is totally different than that. We see it as life and death, family or not. They see it as a self-help tool. It's like going to a yoga class. Mm-hmm. It's like going to a restaurant. You like Dukes. You go to Dukes every now and then. Dukes is one of our favorites. Shout out to Dukes. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. chowder is the best, um, original preferably. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go back there the next Tuesday night right. or the next Tuesday night or the next Tuesday night. And so how we see church is you came once. You made this decision. You're going to be part of the family. You're going to show up every Sunday. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I don't go back to Dukes every week. Mm-hmm. And so we have to understand that we're t- starting from, like, not just zero. We're starting from minus mm-hmm. and having to teach them why being part of the family is helpful, why joining and being in community is important. I think community is the greatest asset the church doesn't uh, spend a lot of time talking about. People are lonelier than ever. Mm-hmm. I have a visual right now in my mind of driving down the street and and going to this corner and seeing this girl standing in her um, in her window just staring out. It was a kid, you know, probably 13 years old. And I'm thinking like, oh, it's got to be a really terrible time for her to sit in her living room 24-7, not go to school, not be in sports, not have to be able to talk to grandma and grandpa. I mean, kids want to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And adults want to be part of something. We want to have relationship. We, as guys, we'll say we don't, but we really do. Mm-hmm. So what is it that we're going to do to capture that? Uh, and people will bag on how do you do chicken, like Zoom Zoom church is bad, and you know you can't have real community. I, don't judge their, their chicken. It's okay. Like, <laughs> why do you care? Like, right. if they're building community online and the people are across the world... It's better than what they were getting before. Mm-hmm. It might not be the best, but that's subject to your personal opinion. Um, I, I think I think in person is way better. But you know what? This is going to work for some people, yeah. or at least if it, if it begins to work, it'll be the opening, the foyer type thing where they're coming to into the church through online type thing. So. I think the future of the church is bright. I think it's just going to be so different that it's going to be disorienting Mm -hmm. to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's going to be disorienting because they're not going to do the songs that they like. They're not going to do them in the order they like. They're not going to do the altar calls that some people want. It's just going to be different, and we don't do different well. We all say that you know, change is, is normal. 
just don't you know change anything in my world. And so <laughs> people are going to have to understand the mission is more important than their comfort. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, and I'm living in change. So for us, it's I think it was really a blessing um, when we transitioned down here almost two years ago, Bridget and I and our family. Yeah. We were plucked out of everything we knew for years, and then, you know, there's some things we know, and right. they're not changed. We love Jesus. We love the Bible. We minister, and but everything else is different, mm-hmm. environmentally, people, all that. And I think that set me up to also try to potentially lead well the changes that were necessary. Now, right. seeing that, you know, you and I would have never known this, but seven, eight months before the pandemic, here right. I am getting installed after Pastor Steve and Mary. It's amazing. And so... It's it, we've changed the church a lot, and yeah. it was, and a lot of it, honestly, and I've told people this, it, it really wasn't because I was a strategist or great or at anything. It was a lot of it was needs. Like we had to do you this, had to change. and uh, and it's not even just about like I understand some people just want to survive right now, but I think we all really want to thrive. Yeah. We, we we want to see the glory of God. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see people change. One one thing that uh, I'll say in closing is. I said this like five years ago, and I don't even think I knew what I meant. Now I'm starting to get it because I think I said it in a way that I wouldn't have understood in today's world. But I thought to myself, as we talk about evangelism and discipleship and the future of the church, that churches that figure out how to help people walk into freedom um, are going to be like cutting edge. Yep. Right. I mean, I don't care. You know, we're not really hypey, and I, I don't know if that's really my focus of good, bad. Um, some people are more excited, and I, passion's important. I think intimacy with God, passion is. Really, I love. I love that. But I do think no matter how you do, like a, a a gathering, helping people find freedom with the amount of anxiety that we have yep. today, the real fear that we're facing, the fear of death, the fear of the unknown, the fear. I mean, even just the social anxiety. Yeah. You know, that's why some, for some people Zoom is a good thing because they, for whatever reason, they can't do right together. I mean, we just have to have a lot of grace and compassion, and at the same time, realize that we're helping each other find the freedom that, that Jesus offers one step at a time. And churches that really see being whole in Christ, being new in Christ, and, and connecting with one another so that we can grow to be more like Him, if, if we really begin to be about that more and more, it is appealing to a world that is just so bound. Yeah. Before I was a Christian, I was so bound. I mean, it was more bound than I realized. And people today, even more so, with just the lies and social media and all the stuff that is burdening us. And uh, I feel like we need to have a vision. Like Jesus saw the crowds, and he had compassion on them. Yeah. We need to see people just like Jesus sees us. I'm not saying I'm better than anyone, but we have to see people and have compassion and meet people where they are. And so that fuels my evangelism, and I pray that that also will fuel, mm-hmm. fuel our vision for the future of the church. Well, hey, Dave, we're going to have you back. Love to. And when we have you back, we're going to have a new title for you, coach, consultant. I want you to bring up that title. It's going to be great. Yeah, I'm going to start a business, and I'm going to call it Dumb and Dumber Coaching and Consulting. <laughs> Does it work? It's awesome. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, hey, thanks for being with us. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to being with you next week on Conversations with Ben Dixon. Oh.